Welcome to Pursuing Justice. I'm Harriet Hendel. Our theme this month has been the idea and the issue of pardons. And we are specifically focused on the Pennsylvania Board of Pardons. And we have Celeste Trustee, who is secretary of the board. And she has many different jobs uh, under that umbrella. She'll tell us about it. But she was with us last time. So I encourage my listeners to listen to part one uh, before listening to today's um, interview. So welcome back, Celeste, to our podcast. Thank you so much. Glad to be back. So we talked um, about a number of things the last time. We talked about um, the way the board functions, who's on the board, um, what's the definition of a pardon, what's the difference between pardons and uh, clemency. Um, and one of the things I, I learned so much about um, what you do from your wonderful website, um, and that is bop.pa.gov. That's right. right. So I encourage people to um, go on the website and, and the last time you talked about the fact that your hearings are open to the public. That I had no idea. I think I'm going to tune in myself. And you can see how the board handles um, an applicant who is uh, wanting to be granted a pardon. Um, and you're, you also told us that the process is not that complicated and that it is also uh, free. So that, that encourages us. So um, I wanted to ask you, um, what role does the board have in uh, a wrongful conviction case? And that is very close to my heart because I served on the Innocence Project of Florida Board. What happens when somebody is asking for a pardon, but they maintain they are innocent? So this is something that is also very near and dear to my heart, uh, considering my background um, and obviously support of the Pennsylvania Innocence Project and many of my dear friends have been exonerated. So thank you for uh, being on the board uh, down in Florida. Um, historically, actually, the Board of Pardons has really been difficult for people who are um, claiming innocence. Part of what um, historically the board has asked people for um, is a description of the event that they are convicted of and how they have changed. They want to see evidence of rehabilitation, right? Evidence of uh, acceptance of guilt and, and evidence of remorse. That is very difficult for people who are wrongfully convicted because if they feel, and again, if they claim and if they are innocent, um, going before the board, when the board expects to see evidence again of rehabilitation and remorse, uh, if you didn't actually do the thing that you are convicted of, that has stopped people who are wrongfully convicted mm -hmm. for applying for pardons uh, or for applying for commutation. Um, and historically, the board has not really been that friendly um, to granting uh, or to supporting clemency for people who are claiming innocence. Um, a couple of my dear friends, um, I, you know, before I was in this role, um, I would encourage them, hey, apply for clemency. You know, it's the only opportunity. We know that obviously there's an opportunity to go through the courts, but 
that is long, not guaranteed. Um, and so, but so many of my friends said, no, we won't do it because we didn't do what they convicted us of. And the board is going to, you know, ask us to atone for something we didn't do. Um, and so out of, you know, just principle, they, they will not apply. And so I do know folks who are innocent, who uh, claim wrongful conviction, who have gone through the process and who are currently going through the process. Um, and it has been a little bit of a murky situation, unfortunately. Um, you know, I, I do speak with, you know, the Pennsylvania Innocence Project folks. They are really trying to actively figure out ways that we can get around that, right? Because as we know, again, life without parole is life without parole. It is death by incarceration in Pennsylvania. And we know how, again, the courts are not always that friendly either. Um, and so I know the folks at the Pennsylvania Innocence Project are trying to work to come up with ideas um, on how we can make clemency more friendly to people who are claiming wrong, wrongful conviction. Right. Now, you were a volunteer with the Pennsylvania Innocence Project, is that right? I was, I was, um, you what know, a you number do? of years ago. And so I, you know, I helped do, you know, case analysis and things like that. And, um, you know, it was really, really a wonderful opportunity because um, wrongful convictions, again, are near and dear to my heart. Um, you know, again, some of my closest friends have actually been exonerated. I knew them from uh, inside. I actually have a couple, um, a lot of the artwork that is behind me was actually uh, created by people who, uh, for me, who are still fighting um, and are still wrongfully incarcerated. But on my other wall, I have um, things that my friend Chester Holman had uh, created for me while he was still incarcerated. Now he's home, which is wonderful, about to hit his three-year home anniversary. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I... Uh, just helped out where I could, um, you know, and I really respect the work that they do um, so much because it is something that we see, you know, patterns um, of prosecution that were questionable, patterns of different um, things in the justice system that are questionable, and we know that they exist, right? We know that there are problems within the system, that we know people are sometimes overcharged or wrongfully convicted, so we have to do something about it, um, and there's just not enough resources, I think, for people no who who are in those situations um, to be able to try to seek relief. So I applaud everything that they do um, because I, th I think it's it's critical work. Yeah, it's great work. Now you also uh, were involved in an organization called FAM, Families Against Mandatory Minimum. Tell us about that organization. What's their mission and how come you were involved with them? Yeah, so I started with FAM as um, an organizer and then um, ended up becoming their Pennsylvania State Policy Director and was able to really be in, in the Capitol in Harrisburg, trying to impact legislation, um, trying to educate lawmakers, educate the public about how Pennsylvania is so terrible at over-sentencing people, um, and really trying to make people across the political spectrum understand why sentencing reform and really making sure that we take a look at how we've done things historically here in the Commonwealth is so important. Um, doesn't matter whether you are Republican, independent, a Democrat, this is all of our tax money. And again, I you know, it's being invested in perpetual punishment while we look around and we see so many communities that need 
resources that need investment, yet we sit here and invest billions of dollars a year in incarcerating people. Um, and so it, it was a really interesting and wonderful experience being with FAM. It's a very family-centered organization. Um, one of the things that I, I was taught early in my advocacy journey um, was by my dear friend, Eddie, who said, look, you know, people incarcerated often have advocates, right? They have loved ones to fight for them. But what is really lacking is a huge network of folks that are advocating for the families who are there to make sure that the family members are supported too, because they're serving the sentence as well. And that sure. stuck, that really stuck with me. So when I had the opportunity to work with FAM, that was just something that, you know, every day we made sure that the family members felt connected, that they had a place to go, that they all felt understanding and, you know, that people are all going through this and also to normalize the experience, you know, so many people in this country have either been incarcerated, have been arrested, or know someone who has been, yet we still have the stigma attached to it. And we need to start normalizing this. You know, it's unfortunate that we need to start normalizing it, but we need to start normalizing it because this is our reality, that if we're going to invest so much in punishment and incarceration, this is our reality. So let's talk about it. Let's talk about how it impacts you as a person. Let's talk about what you need as a family. Let's talk about what you could have used at that time um, and really use that to help inform our legislature and how they how they respond. Um, unfortunately, our legislature has not uh, done a ton of work. Um, sometimes it seems like we're going backward in sentencing reform. Sometimes it seems like we're taking two steps forward, which is great. Um, but you know, we really need to start looking at, I think a lot of people in the legislature are okay with advancing those low-hanging fruit type of sentencing reforms with, you know, probation, um, you know, or like lower level offenses. But we have to start talking about, you know, those types of cases that people feel uncomfortable talking about, right? Where unfortunately violence occurred or lives were taken. But those are the people that we are investing the most in incarcerating, even though we also know that those are the people that could come home and help the people in our community um, and help those stopping the violence initiatives, which is what we see, right? We see folks who have caused the greatest harm coming home and doing the greatest good. Mm, that's, that's so good to hear. Um, I wanted to ask you, what is the Clean Slate movement? It was uh, passed in 2018. I don't know anything about it. Yeah, so Clean Slate is similar, right, to what we're trying to do here. There's been a really big push with second chances in Pennsylvania because we realized so many people, and again, Clean Slate was a bipartisan initiative. That was, uh, yeah, we had Republicans and we had Democrats. We had some of the most conservative Republicans and some of the most, you know, uh, loud Democrats uh, together in the same room working because, together because they know that, um, trying to help people seek relief, you know, and trying to see second chances is good for all of us, right? What's good for one person is good for all of us as Commonwealth residents. And so it's really been incredible to see, you know, press events, right? Where you have people from all over the political spectrum talking together about how this can benefit all of us. Um, and so we saw that with Clean Slate, you know, we saw a lot of people who were able to have their records cleared right? Um, and that's the type of thing that can help somebody. That's the type of thing that can help somebody get 
access to higher education. That's sure. the type of thing that can help somebody get access to a better job so that they can better take care of their families. And when you get a better job, you're paying more taxes, right? That's right. These are the types of things that we need to start thinking about. You know, people who critique this movement and say, oh, well, you're just trying to let everybody out of prison or you're trying yeah. to escape accountability. That's not what it is. This is about a responsible way to yes, address accountability, but also address accountability in how our commonwealth uses its resources, right? Um, you know, and understanding that, again, if we see the science shows that people can change, that our brains aren't developed until a certain period of time, and we know this, um, we look at science to guide us in so many aspects of life. We do not look at science to guide us in our criminal justice and uh, our sentencing process and procedures. Um, and we really need to do that. And so we need to be leaning on our legislators. We need to be leaning on these folks. And I know, you know, you mentioned my time with FAM earlier. This week, they just launched the Visit a Prison campaign again. Um, and myself and our Board of Pardons office staff, tomorrow we're going in with a bunch of staff from the governor's office and we're gonna be visiting SCI Camp Hill. Um, you know, and taking the time to actually go in and be in community with the people inside. Um, and we did this when I was with FAMA a number of years ago, and it was incredible to see that you have lawmakers who have never been inside of a prison, but they will stand in Harrisburg really? and create laws about the people inside while they've never actually gone inside to speak to somebody, right? It should be so a requirement, right? <laughs> it should be, right? It should be. If you're going to try to legislate, you need to be able to know the people that you're legislating about, right? And so it's really incredible, I think, to try to lean on these folks, you know, our policymakers, our leaders, to go inside of a prison and spend some time, not just quote unquote touring the prison, spend time with those people, spend time with our comrades, our allies, you know, our community members inside who might be your neighbor right? Who most people who are in prison are going to come home at some point in time. And a lot of people don't realize that, right? Go inside and talk to them. Find out what happened and also what their dreams are. Find out what they want to do when they come home. And that way, I feel like people who walk into Harrisburg, you know, with their legislator pins feeling like, oh, well, you know, we know best. How do you know best if you don't take the time to actually know anything about something, you know, and so I, I love this. I love this push. You know, they did, certainly didn't have to twist my arm to go. Um, I love going inside and being in community with the people that are incarcerated there. A lot of people think I am outrageous for doing that or that I am, you know, out of my mind for wanting to go and spending time with folks inside. But honestly, it's one of my favorite things to do because some of my favorite people, some of my greatest mentors I met inside of prison, some are still there, some are home now, but we need to have more, more of our leaders going inside of prisons mm -hmm. and meeting the people inside that we are saying, no, look in their eyes and say, no, I think you deserve to die here. I think it's so different if you can go in and understand what a person, because that's all people who are incarcerated are, are people, understand them. That's a really good point. Um, I watched, uh, I guess I, I must have discovered it on your a wonderful website, Chasing the Dream. 
And uh, these are stories of people who were granted a pardon, really inspiring. Can you, um, as we come are coming to the end of our, our second podcast together, can you share some success stories that you have been privy to? Oh my goodness, that's honestly <laughs> Another one of my favorite right? things <laughs> to talk about, right? Uh-huh. You know, some of the best uh, success stories, I think, are folks who, and we've talked about this, you know, who our society, our system said at a young age, that's it. The worst day of your life, the worst night of your life is how we are going to judge you for the rest of your life. Yet they've had the opportunity to go through the Board of Pardons, have the governor you know, sign their, their relief and come home. And they are doing things like taking their grandkids to the park. And when I see those pictures posted on Facebook or when I get a mm-hmm. text you know, a good morning text from somebody who I couldn't get a good morning text from for so long because they had to schedule a time to call or we weren't able to communicate that way. That to me, it's those little things, right? The pride that somebody has, you know, sweet Papo Mojica, he is so proud that he has come home and is now a master plumber. Mm. And the pride that he has in the work that he does is something that you don't see very often in people who have been free their whole lives, right? He's so proud to be able to provide for his wife, to provide for his children, and to see the smile on their faces when you see a photo, you know? And they'll just call and check in sometimes and say, hey, sis, how are you doing? I hope you're okay. And it's just magical, right? You know, we've seen wonderful people come home and get engaged and married and have children. And what a second chance story, right? Children that exist and are being, you know, loved and cared for by People who, again, our system said, no, you should not be able to do that, have come home and are able to create life, right, where they were doomed because they took a life. It's something that's a, that's just beautiful, um, you know, coming home and being able to, you know, start food banks. I see so many people coming home and serving their community They serve the community inside in whatever limited fashion they were able to, but now they're coming home and they see the need. They look around and they see how can we help and they find that and they do that. Um, You know, people coming home and sharing their stories in a way that is so impactful because they're the experts, right? Who better to share their story than people like Miss Naomi, like Akeem Sims, who, you know, Akeem came home and is now living his dream and has an incredible life because of a pardon. You know, Corey Sanders, who now, you know, out in Pittsburgh has an incredible life because of a pardon. You know, these are things that people who are now able to chaperone their kids on a field trip because of a pardon. People who have been able to do that, right? Right. People who are, who had their medical licenses taken away 
who are now able to practice medicine because of a pardon. Think also about the amount of money that taxpayers have saved and then been able to allocate differently through clemency, right? So we look at people like George Trudell, who works for the Lieutenant Governor's office as a commutation specialist. He served, I think, 30 years in prison, life without parole sentence, came home, right? Now again, works for the Lieutenant Governor's office. That's a, a big deal. Has now, we're Commonwealth employees. We pay a decent amount of taxes. So now for years, right, he has been paying into the system instead of us paying to keep him incarcerated. Has George done anything that has been unsavory since he's been home? No. George has an incredible woman that he stayed with. He's got incredible dogs. He is creating an incredible living space for he and his family to enjoy life, right? What harm was done by allowing George Trudell to come home? None. He's bettering the community by serving the community. We as taxpayers, instead of spending millions of dollars to keep George in prison the rest of his life, now we can put that money elsewhere. Can we put that toward violence reduction initiatives, toward our schools so children have better opportunities? Miss Naomi, I mean, come on. Miss Naomi is an angel on this earth. And our system said, Miss Naomi, no, you should die in prison, Miss Naomi. I dare anyone to look at Miss Naomi and talk to Miss Naomi and say, you should be in prison instead. You should die in prison instead. Nobody could because she is an angel, right? And our system said, no, we should be spending millions of dollars to still keep you there. But no, she came home, again, works for the lieutenant governor's office, pays taxes, and serves her community and also helps people who were left behind, who she left behind, apply for clemency and get that second chance. You know, I dare people to talk to people who have gone through this process and say, you don't deserve a second chance and our community is more unsafe because of it. You can't find that. You look at everyone and we're a stronger community. They are repairing that harm. They are trying to be, you know, those strong threads in the fabric of society that they know they tore a hole in. And we need to allow more of those threads to come home and make our society stronger. Well, you you are giving them an opportunity to give back um, and turn those tables around. If only people um, that have the power um, would see that. And that's right. Judges, uh, you know, all the way down the line, prosecutors, if, if we could only see it in the light that you just um, painted for us, it, it would be so much better, so much better. So we're coming to the end, and I, I was wanting to ask you, what are your personal goals uh, as you look ahead um, down the road? What, what would you like to see happening um, in the future? I would love to see a focus on legislative change um, and putting people in power who have either lived experience or know somebody uh, or are closely related to somebody who has lived experience. We see now in the Pennsylvania legislature that multiple organizers, community organizers um, who have you know, lived this work trying to help create legislative change on the ground who are now elected officials, right? We need to see more people who care about second chances in office. And we also need our community members to understand that we 
elect people in office and it's our job to hold people accountable. When we send people to Harrisburg, to DC, to our local uh, you know, political spaces, we need to hold people accountable and say, you are supposed to represent the best interests of our community. And are we really doing that by perpetuating this harm that was caused all these years ago? You know, nobody is going to be made better, right? By keeping Miss Naomi and George Trudell in prison. Nobody, right? Not even the people whose lives were lost and who suffered that great loss all of those years ago, right? They will not be made better by keeping those folks in prison. But what will make everybody better is a better allocation, a more responsible allocation of our resources and a more compassionate way to approach criminal justice reform, sentencing, and how we do punishment here in Pennsylvania. You, you gave me an opening. Um, if people would tune in the next time we have uh, as, as guests, Naomi uh, that you mentioned and uh, Akeem, who you also mentioned, and they, thanks to you, Celeste, they will be our guests. And those are the success stories that you're talking about. So we'll hear them firsthand from both Naomi and Akeem. So I thank you so much for taking time to be with us today and, and sharing your perspective, which is also mine. I, I so believe in second chances. And, you know, maybe you've changed your, some minds today listening to you. I hope so. Thank I hope you so, so too. Thank you so much thank, for having me. And thanks for being here. And tune in next time to Pursuing Justice on Society Bites Radio. Thank thanks for listening to my podcast today. You have been listening to Pursuing Justice on Society Bites Radio. And I'm your host, Harriet.